we're continuing where we left off. It is uh, Sunday. It's February 9th, 2020, and we're continuing our worship service with the thought of the week and prayer. All right, our thought of the week starts out with a quote from Romans 6, verses 4 through 5. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. How well do you know, understand the resurrection? From the verses above, Christ opened the door to a new order of life when he was raised from the dead. First, we have to understand that he really did die to this life. The rules which apply to him as a human being in this world are no longer binding upon him now. He may have been born under the law, but he is no longer under the law. The fact that he is now raised is important since he will be the pattern for the new life of every person after him that will be raised from death to life. The baptism of the Spirit mentioned here is the key to our new resurrection life in Christ. While you may not have your resurrection body like our Lord, you have the opportunity of allowing his resurrection life to be lived in you right now. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. From Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. One day you will receive your own resurrection body. More important than that new body you will receive later is what we have on the inside now. For us, right here and now, while still in these old bodies of corruption, we have something very special. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our heart to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6-7. through 7. You may begin living the resurrected life now. He is risen. Now, as the thought of the week, I'd like to offer some commentary on the, uh, the simple gospel. Uh, what we refer to as the simple gospel, and that is the gospel of salvation. As pointed out in these verses, there is something very significant going on here. And we also understand that this is the work of God. This is something that God has done for us. It's not something we earn or something that we perform in order to achieve a certain result. The same thing is with the gospel of salvation is that salvation is not a result of work. It cannot be. For what God has given to us is a gift. And a gift is not a gift if it is earned. 
so when we think about salvation and what God has in store for us and, and his plans and his ways, we must keep in mind that it is by grace that we are saved. Likewise, it is by grace and by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us that we live. And so let us put aside the works that we have and keep in mind that the work that has been done for on our behalf would result in us a, um, a rest for our souls. There is no anxiety that we have to perform something or do something. We can rest knowing that it has been done for us. All we need to do is believe it. And that is my commentary. Now I'll give it to you, hand it over to Bill for prayer. Okay, thank you, Dwight. So at this time, for all of those who have a desire for someone or in standing in need of prayer, this is the time that we do so. Remember, always pray for me for I stand in the need of prayer. Um, this is Doug. Pray for me as well, and also that I can be instrumental in, in bringing others to Christ and to the deeper knowledge of the truth. Okay. So for um, for traveling mercies for those of us who are traveling and for the church universal. All right. So at this time we can bow our heads for a word of prayer. The Lord, once again we stand before you, O Lord. We pray that for this day that you give us all that we need. Keep us mindful of you, O Lord. Father God, we pray for all of Word is Truth Church, for you know our hearts and we know our minds. We pray that you search it out, O oh Lord, and those things that we desire, that they be for us, that you grant it, O oh Father. Father God, we know that through the power of the resurrection of Christ, that you have opened a way for this church. And for all of those that we pray for, we know that you stand at the door and knock. We pray that you allow those hearts to open that door and let you in, O oh Father that those desires that we have for them, that they come to Christ as we have, we pray that you go in and you suck with them, give them the ability and the trust that we trust in you, that you will give them eternal life. For surely there is no other life that is known for man to have an eternity with you. We ask this in all with our Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Dwight and Bill. We appreciate the uh, taking care of those things for us. So we're going to move right into uh, our study, which is in John chapter 14, verse 12, which says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And uh, you have notes, and in your notes, we'll get right to it. It says, I feel it is an honor to focus on these passages before us. Our Lord shows us the way of true humility by allowing the person of the Father to present this new revelation to those who will have the awesome responsibility to herald this important information. 
Timing is everything, I heard someone say. Now is the time for us to fulfill the desires and dreams of our Father. Our Lord and the Holy Spirit are all in agreement with this plan of antiquity that precedes time. Great expectations are appropriate here, and we will not disappoint. The Father has it all in scope. So live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let us take a deep breath. Exhale and roll up our sleeves and go to work while we can still, uh, while we are still uh, on this earthly battlefield. I should say, while we still can on this earthly battlefield. Are you ready to take your place in the battle? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That's in Philippians 2, 5 through 7. So, here we are. Uh, we'd like to dig into this verse, um, which is, begins with, verily, truly, or very truly, I tell you. We're going to just take that phrase for a moment and look at a few points there. So the word verily, actually in the King James, you have you've heard this expression quite often in the Gospels. Verily, verily, I say unto you. <laughs> I always wanted to look and see what does that mean? And the Greek word is amen, which is where we get amen. So... There's a couple ways that it's used. Uh, one at the beginning of a discourse and one at the end of a discourse. I didn't include at the end of a discourse because this is at the beginning. Uh, so what does it mean at the beginning? It's surely, it means, truly, which is of a truth. Right? This is These are some of the ways it's translated. So... Uh, and that's by Thayer. So point B, we're going to move into what it means by saying it twice. The word verily twice is for emphasis. Very truly, as Jesus introduces vital information, meaning, hey, sit up and take notice. Now here's some of the ways it's translated. Uh, and I have four here from different Bibles. I tell you of certain. Now we already have very truly I say unto you. I tell you for certain is the first one. I can guarantee this truth is the second one. Or the third one is what am I what I'm about to tell you is true. Uh, or most assuredly I say to you. Now I'm throwing all those translations out just to make sure we pay attention as well. 
I want us to sit up and take notice of what is being said here. It is important. Uh, actually, all the words of God are important. But when Jesus says, hey, <clears throat> stop for a minute. I'm guaranteeing this to be true. I mean, most assuredly, this is true. Uh, or, as the old English would say, verily, verily, I'm saying to you. So, point C. Patience is the thought here. How carefully God is with our fragile souls to receive vital information. He's preparing us. That's him, you know, setting the stage, preparing uh, the way for us to, to, to receive information. He doesn't just haphazardly say it. He's careful. He's patient with us. And just imagine this is coming off two verses that said, don't you believe, believe me when I say, right? These are Jesus pleading with the disciples to listen to him. He's been telling them this all along, and now he's saying, please take some time. Verily, verily. Listen, I'm telling you a truth here. Most assuredly, this is true. Um, I can guarantee it that this is what, what truth is here, and you're getting ready to hear it. So he's making a declaration, a statement that we need to pay attention to. And listen, the world has paid attention to this statement. And I've heard many people, many theologians, take this verse and say what they think it means. So for sure, this verse is uh, important. Let's get into it. Maybe we'll have opportunity to really think about this verse, just like Christ wants us to. Whoever believes in me is the first phrase we'll look at. First thought, there is a condition mentioned first. Pay close attention to the conditions, right? That's what we should always do. If there is a condition within the sentence structure, we should make sure that uh, we don't just blanketly uh, throw whatever promise or statement for everybody. And I've seen it happen. only reason why I'm saying this is because I have seen it happen. Where people have uh, exaggerated scripture by saying, well, the Bible says this, and that way you're supposed to do that, uh, without understanding that there are conditions. What condition are we focused on here? Believing. Right? Whoever believes. Now, whoever means anybody. Anybody who believes in me. That, that didn't limit it to Jews, didn't limit it to Gentiles. Anybody, just like what we find in John 3, 16. Whoever believes in the Son, anybody who believes in the Son will have life. You know, those are conditions. But the conditions are for people to simply trust in Christ. So, it, so the first thought is, yes, there is a condition. Sit up and take notice what the condition is. It's a believer. Point B, believes in me. What does that mean? That means trust the matter of their soul salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we, we have gone through these verses a lot. Dwight just kind of covered some of the thoughts in salvation and how important it is. 
And uh, here we are here in the same manner talking about John 3, 16 through 18 and 36. And if you don't know what those verses are, I think I will read them. <laughs> let's take a little look at them. So let's go. John 3, it's Jesus is saying, whoever believes in me. Well, we need to know what that means. So here it is, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the one and only of God's one and only son. And then verse that's very clear in my mind. I'm sure it could be uh, we could take some time with it, but since we have taken a lot of time with it, we'll move forward. 36, John the Baptist says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Very similar to what we read in 36. So we needed to make sure we understood what Jesus meant when he said, whoever believes in me. It is important to it's the gospel. And I like what John says at the end of his book. These things are written that you might believe, <coughs> I'm sorry, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. So there is a dynamic that happens when a person does put their trust in Christ. It is not just, well, that's just something he said. If he truly does, and from the heart, Trust the matter of their soul salvation, because that is the matter at hand. Whether or not you're going to be saved. It's not whether you're going to be lost, because we're born lost. We're born under the wrath of God. We're born condemned. So the question is not, are we ever going to be condemned or lost? The question is to us, will you be saved? And if you choose not to receive God's gracious offer of Christ, who is the savior of the world, who paid for every sin we would ever commit, who not only did that, but he brings on the righteousness to our our, uh, account. If you refuse God's gracious offer of the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't say you'll be lost, you're already lost. (laughs) It says the condemnation uh, will re- the wrath of God will remain on you. It didn't say you will get the wrath of God. It's already on you. You're already condemned. And why are you condemned? Because you did not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. It's pretty straightforward, I think. And if we need more conversation about that, we should have it. I want it to be as clear as a bell. So, whoever believes in me is the condition We'll get right into it. Uh, Point C, what is said after the condition is clearly only for those who believed, those who are saved, justified, and in Christ. Why do I say in Christ? Because it really is language that uh, refers to when the Spirit comes. 
Jesus is prepping the disciples. When will all of these things happen? Well, at Pentecost. He's not saying right now, because all the people who are standing there do believe in him. They do trust him as the savior of the world. So he's not referring to that now. He's saying, well, people who believe in me, I'm telling you this truth. Remember, pay attention, sit up. Because when the spirit comes, this will be the condition. And we'll talk more about it as the context develops. But that is where it is. Uh, point D, notice this is a future promise for believers. Uh, as it says in <clears throat> verse 12 and 15 through 17, here's the documentation for that. Uh, so let's look at 14, 14, 15, uh, 12 is the first, hold on. Let's just get my Bible to it there. So John 14, 12 says, very truly, I tell you, that's, uh, he says, uh, I'm going to the Father. That's the phrase in 12, because I am going to the Father. So when did Jesus ascend? And it was just 10 days before Pentecost. And, and then that's when he, and then 15 through 17 says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and he will be in you. We know that's happening at Pentecost. And there's a lot other, more, more scriptures we could bring to talk about that particular time that's gonna happen when the Spirit does come and takes residence in believers, uh, the baptism of the Spirit happens, the filling of the Spirit, all of these things will happen. Okay, point E in our outline here. This would not apply to Old Testament saints since they are no longer on this earthly battlefield. So if a person in the Old Testament thinks that uh, what Jesus' declaration uh, will be here, applies to all the Old Testament saints. This is not true. Old Testament, this was not available in the Old Testament. This is new information that is uh, re relative to the mystery. And only those who uh, Jesus is introducing it to here and uh, those who are believers at the time of the baptism of the Spirit will be included in this whoever believes in me. So Old Testament saints are in fact saved. They have salvation. But this is in addition to salvation when it talks about the baptism of the Spirit and all of those ministries that are also a part of the baptism of the Spirit. So, uh, so whoever believes in me, and here's what Jesus says, will do the works I have been doing. So this is very interesting. People automatically assume that the works that Jesus has been doing, what is that? Signs, wonders, miracles. We'll get to this thought. So, but my first question about that is, the question should be asked, what works was Jesus doing? Right? Rather than just assume it's just miracles, people should say, well, what was Jesus, what was he doing? What was his purpose? What, what, 
If Jesus, if you would ask that question to Jesus, Jesus, what works? What are you doing that you're saying that we will do? Let's, we should ask him. Let's just examine what he was doing. So the first point, miracle signs and wonders. Yes, these were done by Jesus. We are not denying that they were. They were. But what, what are those miracle signs and wonders for is the question. Are they the works that demonstrate that we're supposed to do everybody, whoever believes? Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that the work? Did the Father create all things so that we could do miracle signs and wonders? Is, is that the point? No, that is not the point. But the miracles, they were to confirm to us that Jesus, or he was speaking with divine authority. And even an unbeliever, who <clears throat> was Nicodemus, and I know he was an unbeliever because Christ told him <clears throat> he needed to be born again. A lot of people today would seem that would be insulting if somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is a little failing here. <clears throat> Hold on. They would see that as insulting if someone said, you need to be born again. They would say, what are you, what are you trying to say? Right? But Jesus, look that Sadducee straight up and down and said to him, you must be born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And the discussion then ensued. But just notice, uh, the first thing that Nicodemus said was no one can do the things you do. He saw, and he did not witness all of Christ's miracles. He witnessed some of them. The disciples were there for all of them. I mean, they were, privy to Jesus doing miraculous things that John said if, if uh, we tried to recount all that happened with Jesus, he said there would not be enough books in the world to write all this down. It's just too much. He healed everybody that came to him. I mean, and they were coming in droves all from all over the countrysides were coming and, and uh, at one point, they had to take out the, the roof of a house uh, and let a man down who uh, you know, want, needed to be healed, and, and Jesus healed that man. I mean, it's just amazing to think that uh, we would have such power, right? And then if you look at only miracle signs and wonders, that, not only that, we're going to have greater power than Jesus if it were miracles, signs, and wonders. But it is not miracles, signs, and wonders. Right? That's, that's just something we need to know. That the reason Nicodemus said it, no man can do the things you're doing except God is with him. He knew that because he saw those miracles. But guess other people saw them. It didn't mean that they had to draw those conclusions. The Pharisees, inter interestingly, said, yeah, yeah, this man got power, but it's the power of the devil, right? When Jesus cast out a demon, and which brought that whole unpardonable sin to, to the floor. But the whole point here is that these miracle signs and wonders are not normative for the church age. That is not something that every believer does or can do. 
I know there are some ministries, yes, that they do teach such things. And if you have enough faith, you could uh, relieve yourself of a headache or backache or something. But this is not what Jesus, this is not at all. In fact, I never even see one time in Scripture where Jesus healed somebody of a headache or a backache. I mean, I don't see it. And I imagine he did, but those weren't the things mentioned. Eyes opening the blind, the, the deaf hear, um, the mute speak, uh, raising the dead. I mean, lepers being healed. I mean, on and on, it was just miraculous. The, the signs of the fishes and the loaves and uh, walking on water. and Disciples witnessed it all. And they were amazed. And you know what they thought? What manner of man is this <laughs> obviously god is with him there is no question about it so i'm hoping people will orient to the understanding that the miracles signs and wonders demonstrate divine authority right we're going to say that a few more times don't worry just to be sure so so we know it's not that these are not what will do the works I have been doing. That's not what he's referring to. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Okay. Point two. What if we're, we're answering the question is, uh, what works was Jesus doing? If we're going to know what he was doing, right? Do greater. We're going to do what he did and greater. We need to know what he was doing. So that's the question. Point number two. He came as a messianic king. That's interesting John 18:36 let's just read that I'm going to quickly turn to these scriptures and he was talking to Pilate at this time he said Jesus said my kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders but now my kingdom is from another place so Pilate says you are a king then now, I'm sure Pilate sat up in his chair because, I mean, he's the king. You're going to oppose me now? And, and Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. So the answer here, what was Jesus doing? What works? Well, he was uh, a king. He was the Messiah. There was no doubt about it. He was a messianic king, and all the scriptures and prophecies in the Old Testament did refer to the Lord Jesus Christ coming uh, to reign over not only Jerusalem, but all over the world he would have kingdom. And uh, so this, this is true, right? And so he came to set up that, that as a messianic king. Now, we in the church uh, are not necessarily... Uh, doing the works, because we don't have a kingdom. We're not coming to establish some kingdom of our own. Uh, this is not work, necessarily, that the church is doing. This is what Christ came to do in a Jewish context, and he will fulfill this as well. Point number three, he came to die for the sins of the world. Now, of course, even though we can see, and he did die, for the sins of the world. Obviously, we wouldn't have the, be, be here having these conversations if, as Christians if Christ had not died for our sins. He died for the sins of the world. And John one twenty nine says that 
as much. So if I go to 1, and here it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is uh, another Jewish analogy of the animal sacrifices, who, you know, the lambs that were brought to sacrifice the many, I don't know, probably thousands, hundreds of thousands and thousands of lambs that were brought uh, to sacrifice. Jesus now is the Lamb of God. So this is important for, for John the Baptist to see and, and to prophesy. And uh, Jesus came to die for our sins, literally. He did that. We cannot do those works. We are not, even though we are commanded to take up our cross and follow him, we are not going to die for our sins. That's done. Once and done. And then point four, <clears throat> he came to build his church. That's Matthew 16, 18. Remember, on this rock, I will, future tense, build my church. And so that is work that he's doing that I think we are taking a part in especially so we could put a star next to that one for sure we take a part now we stand on the fact that he died for our sins we know that's a truth that he's the messianic king but but for sure he came to build his church now uh, that's uh, one of the things to note the miracle signs and wonders help people realize that he is the christ the son of the living god and he came to do those things which he declares he is doing. And these things would be considered the work of the gospel. Bringing, you know, he had to establish the gospel. If Christ hadn't paid for the sins, there would be no gospel. So that's the work. And to build this church, if he hadn't laid the foundations and built the church, there would be no, he, the church is built on him. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. So point five. In context, the Father was in Christ, teaching the disciples the mystery doctrine. And this is the part where this really is the context of what we're talking about. What are we saying? What is Jesus pleading with them about? Believe me when I say, how can you say, show us the Father? I'm standing right here, and I'm, the Father's been teaching you all along. How can you say, show us the Father, and, that'll be, and then we'll be satisfied? So it's this new information that Jesus is laying the groundwork for that is the work, immediate work, that he is doing. Like that's the context. The Father was in Christ, teaching the disciples the mystery doctrine. And if we look at John 24, 20, I think this should be John 14. It shouldn't be John 4. Please correct your notes. John 14. Now we've read this scripture a lot. Let's turn to it. John 14, 24 through 26. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It's the teaching, right? The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So it's his teaching but it's really the Father's teaching, right? They, they don't, there's not my, these are not my words. They belong to the Father, right? But he says, all this I have spoken 
while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So this is important to note because there is a process of understanding information. And Jesus is laying out the groundwork for this, for the church age. This is it. This is the medium of communication, how it works. And so he's telling us this so that later we'll understand that this happened and this, this is how it works. Jesus is laying that groundwork. So I would say number five is profound, but more so the miracles, signs, and wonders also demonstrate and validate the point number five too. Right? We know that he's going to establish this church. The church is part of the mystery. It was not revealed in times past. It was hidden in God and so forth. All of that is not just some conjecture of the Apostle Paul and others. This is established by signs, wonders, and miracles. That means divine authority. So that means we need to pay attention. Sit up. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Point B, let's move forward. The disciples became apostles for the church. What did they do? Right. So we say, okay, what works did Jesus do? What works did they do? Let's see how it played out, because this is the truth here. This is not something that uh, Jesus said, and he says, well, I was exaggerating a little bit. No, he's telling you, I'm telling you, the things I've been doing, you will do. Now, who's you? You who are the foundation of the church. Okay? And every believer, whoever believes in me, will do these things. Right? So let's see how it all works out. Point B. What did the disciples actually do? We can look on this and we can see. We can also see in our own lives as well how this works. So point one. Miracles, signs, and wonders. And we have to admit, yes... The apostles did this, but note, this again was to confirm that they spoke with divine authority and direction. Now this is, if, if you don't get this point and you get carried away with the miracle signs and wonders, thinking somehow that that's the work that you're supposed to do, just note, the disciples, the apostles who were the foundation of the church, they did miracle signs and wonders. There's no doubt and we, we're not pulling that back in any way. But what did that show? It showed that God had changed directions. Uh, we're not under the law anymore. Israel, right? There's no Israel. God had uh, caused the great sleep to come upon Israel. The church age began. And now, Jews and Gentiles are in one body. And that one body now is called the church. Remember we talked about, I will build my church. So we, a couple of scriptures here, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, which you already know. And I just will turn to these because of the lust for signs and wonders and people doing miracles. They think that this is uh, some kind of way that we're supposed to be functioning. So Paul says, my message in preaching, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's the signs, wonders, and miracles that Paul 
performed in in the in, in right in the Corinthians face so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power in other words you're going to know directly that why you should believe this why you should tr put your trust in Christ and follow this direction as opposed to being circumcised and obeying the Mosaic law and, and the whole nine yards is because God has testified to it by these signs, wonders, and miracles. And back, just another one, Hebrews, which we haven't read in a while, 2, 3, and 4. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. It confirmed to us. How do we know that this is, this is the information that came from the Lord? Because we have witnesses. That's the, seat, that's the seat we sit in right now. We have witnesses. We trust those witnesses confirmed to us by those who heard him. Well, we got the testimony of of the scriptures, right? They wrote, God also, and here it is, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles. What did he testify to? He's talking about this so great salvation. That's the message, the direction that we have now. So it's not just, oh, let me tell you about the signs, wonders, and miracles. It's what those signs, wonders, and miracles attest to, what they confirm. It's what you're supposed to walk away with. So signs, wonders, and miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, notice, distributed according to his will. Notice they're not distributed to everyone. They're according to his will. But what Jesus said is whoever believes will do these things. Whoever. It's not here is God shows up and he attest to the truth so that people will have uh, direction so that they will know which is God ordained or not, which direction. So going back to our notes here, if we can dispense with miracle signs and wonders, yeah, yeah, Jesus did them. Yes, the apostles did them, but you don't, you don't do them. I can say that. And I could say that in the sense that you, meaning everyone in the church, everyone who believes does not do them. Again, we're there again. Point two. Not all believers have done miracles, signs, and wonders. However, enough were done by the apostles to establish the direction of God. Pretty much what we already said, just stated. Right? We should have that. Then point three. Pentecost came, and so did the inauguration of the church. Believers, uh, the church believers receive the promised Holy Spirit. Yeah, it should be receive. So believers receive the promised Holy Spirit. That's that's truth. And 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 what, what is the Spirit called? The Spirit of Truth. And that, this is a fact. What did they do, right? What, what did the, the, the apostles do? This is what they got. They, when they received that, right, for point four, they began to preach the message of the mystery. And what, what does that do? It builds the church. And it grew 
exponentially. And obviously, Acts 2.41 is just one. <laughs> Acts 2, and we're just going to read it because we ought to. Those, verse 41, those who accepted the message, this is after Peter preached and warned and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He says, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Notice they had a number. There was a group and the group was a church. 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that's not... Paul went from city to city and preached and established churches all along the way. And so did Peter and James and John and others. You know, it was their business to go about preaching this new message. And that's, that's what the work of the gospel is. If we're here today, we have that same work ahead of us. It's to go out and become ambassadors for Christ. So... Um, then, uh, point number five, the church did not only consist of Jews, but also Gentiles and Samaritans. So, it, uh, instead of Christ, uh, you know, just preaching to Jewish people, you know, he came to his own, his own did not receive him. He expanded this information to everybody, not just Gentiles, Samaritans, all the groups that were in the world. Gentiles covers all nations of people who are not Jewish. Samaritans were a particular type of people who had some Jewish culture and uh, sort of, they were Gentile, but they had some Jewish roots and culture, but they, they were despised by the Jews. So all of them are included. If you look at the book of Acts, you see the various Pentecosts that were there. So it didn't. So we're talking about what did they do? That's what they did. That's how you have to look at it. That's what the disciples did. They met, they taught, broke bread. You know, they they uh, started churches. Uh, that's what every believer was involved in. We're going to move forward. So we've hopefully answered this question as before. The question should be asked: What works was Jesus doing? So, point C, this unique dynamic relationship in which the Father was able to teach the disciples through our Lord, Jesus, is now replicated in every believer through the Spirit's ministries. Now, we know John 14, 20 through 20, 23, in that day, right, uh, I should read it, let's, let's read it. 14, 20 through 23. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father. You are in me and I am in you. So what day is that? Pentecost. Who is it given to? Uh, only Whoever believes in me, Jesus says. Believers. So believers on Pentecost will receive this. And this is part of the heritage of the church age. It's what we all will have. Obviously, this is not true of Israel because Israel didn't have this. This is not part of any asset package that Israel had or purpose they had. This is unique for the church. So, uh, 22, 
then Judas, not Judas Iscariot. Now, you know what it says, not Judas Iscariot? Because it doesn't want you to be confused. Because Judas, remember, left. Where did Judas go? He went to go betray Christ. What you do, Judas, do it quickly. So then Judas, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So you, They will be living in us, just like Jesus said. It is the Father living in me. He is at home in my heart. So, same thing that happened to Jesus. The same relationship, as I said earlier, is the dynamic relationship where the Father was able to teach through, uh, through Jesus is the same relationship where the Lord himself will be able to teach through us. Right? It's going to be replicated in every believer in the church age. Not some, every believer. So, and it's through the Spirit's ministries. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, let's look at that one as well. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That is a profound verse. So this verse speaks of a new creation. And this new creation is unique. So all this, verse 18, is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Obviously, it, ha it depends on whoever believes in me. So this ministry of reconciliation, we have to have that as a part of our new creation in Christ. It has come. So the heralds that we truly are, not just ministry of reconciliation or salvation, because salvation has been going on since the beginning of time, since people be, were lost. So what he's talking about is this new ministry is for us to reconcile people in this particular age so that they could be new creations in Christ. That's our heritage. That's what we, the work that we are doing. That's the work that Christ was doing with the disciples. He says, get ready, get set. This is getting ready to happen. I'm going to tell you about it. Let me tell you a little bit more. This is how it works even though the disciples were incredulous in their understanding. How could this be? Where? where no, nobody knows this stuff. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Believe me when I tell you that this is so. If you don't believe, believe on the evidence of the works themselves, right? The signs, wonders, and miracles. That's where your faith should rest. You should know that I'm speaking from divine authority. So, um, and then 18, or 19, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 19, all, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Christ's ambassadors, this is the new creation. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we're not just ambassadors to salvation. We're ambassadors. Well, obviously, salvation is the first step. Whoever believes in me, right? So we have to teach the gospel. We have to be ambassadors of reconciliation. But once reconciled in this age, this new creation has come is for us. Back to our notes. Point D, the Father's hidden plan is taught through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's John 16, 14, and 15. We know it comes from the Father because Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, uh, I will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Christ lets us know that this information that the Spirit of Truth will be teaching is the Father's plan. And the Father personally came and introduced it to the disciples, but now in the church age, the Lord Jesus has the prominent role of uh, revealing this information to us. It is said to be the mind of Christ, and we ought to be transformed into his same image right? by the renewing of our minds. That's how it works. So we already have the hardware done. That's the baptism of the Spirit. The software now part is the renewing of our minds. And what mind is that? The mind of Christ, who is our Lord. Now, don't think because of um, the Lord Jesus, the Father's not there anymore. No, he's there as well. The Father indwells us, the Son indwells us, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. The entire Trinity. So it's important that we make a note here that... Um, this all happened at Pentecost. And note, it happened to every person who was in the church. Not some, every person. It fits what Christ says. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And point number four, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And so here we go again. It says, and they... That is, who's they? Believers in Christ, right? Not just anybody, not any age. He's talking very specifically. It's a timeline here. And point B, greater things. Well, what do you mean? Again, I must say this, not the miracles, sign and wonders, right? This is not it at all. That's the purpose of these is to draw attention to the divine authority, right? And this is the third time I mentioned this. I hope I can dispense with this and that we know now that the miracle signs and wonders were to draw attention to divine authority and direction. I hope that we don't have to mention that again. But if you have questions, we should ask and we should hopefully draw it out even more. Point C. Uh, even greater things mentioned here, and they will do even greater things than these. Let's talk about that. Jesus' impact was limited to Israel. If you look at John 1, 11 through 13, we saw this. I mentioned it earlier. John 1, 11 through 13 says, He came to that which was his own, 
but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a husband's decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So Jesus' ministry was limited to Israel. He did not pivot to the Gentiles like he tells the disciples to do. Uh, so just to note, it was very, when we talk about even greater things than these, and what are we talking about? The body of work that we are to do. The church includes Jews and Gentiles, not just Jews. So the greater things, even greater things, is not, as I said, not the miracle signs and wonders, but it is the building up of the church, right? Which is his body, the fullness of him, who created, who, who fills everything in every way. Now, I know I skipped point C, so I'm going back to cover it again, sorry. But that is the church, the building up of the church. That is one thing, uh, Ephesians 1.23, which I quoted, but Ephesians 5.25 to 32 is important here as well. Let me just turn to that. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 32 is very important here, because you might have thought this was all about husbands and wives. Husbands and wives were just used as a metaphor to help us understand this. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Remember, that's the mystery. right? That's what he's really talking about. And notice what Christ does with the church. It's not just automatically fine. He has to uh, wash the water with the water of the word and grow the church up in such a way that he can present the church to himself, a glorious church. So all that's happening in the church age. He's still working on the church through us now. We're here. And we're growing to the fullness and stature of Christ. So that's important to note. So when we talk about even greater things, and then, so point D is where I was before, is Jesus' impact Right, which is really only to the Jews. But now the church impact is global. And as a quote, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. I notice Jews, I mean, are not in all those places, but guess who Gentiles are? Everywhere. There are people 
they could be a part of the church. Go and reach them, is what Jesus is saying. And Jesus, as I said, is very limited impact. His work was limited to the Jews. He says, don't go to uh, the lost. He said, don't go to the Gentiles or to Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of Israel. That's where his ministry was focused. Our ministry in the church is to everyone in the world. It's global. So I would think even greater than what Jesus, the work he did is the work that he's doing in the church. Point E. Uh, point E is uh, because I am going to the Father. Right? This is the phrase. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So when Christ ascended, he will be glorified and the Holy Spirit will be sent in, the, in his name to begin the new church age. That is how we look at this. And so here, the church age is not just, it, when we say age, it, it is a reference to the dispensation of the church. Ephesians 2, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, 2 says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So there you have uh, the testimony right there. Right? When Jesus went to the Father, all of this information is now available. This is the heritage of the church. It is the mystery. This is the doctrine. This is like the law to us. To Israel, the mystery is to the church. So point F, the church's ministry extends to angels as well. If you read Ephesians 3.10, since you're already in Ephesians, we'll just read it. 3.10 says, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So Christ could not get into all the detail. He only introduced it to the disciples. And But the church now gets into the manifold, multifaceted wisdom of God. God is telling us what his eternal purpose is all about. That's the greater things there even greater things, right? It extends to the angelic realm. And then G, which I just said, God's eternal purpose, which was hidden, is now able to be revealed through the church. And that's 311, which says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it goes a lot further we're an extension of who Christ is, his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When we look at the church and we complete Christ, it's not just that we're standing alone, but we are part of who he is. And the whole thrust of who he is is what God uh, I envisioned for Christ from eternity past. He envisioned us 
right? Those many sons and daughters that are brought into glory. Those of us who are being conformed into the image of his son. So all of these things are very pertinent as we look at these passages. I would say for sure, verily, verily, I say unto you, sit up and pay attention. What Christ has done, we will do exponentially more. And we have. And we will continue to do it until the Lord calls us all. That glorious day, like looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads as we close. We'll continue with this context next week. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and honor of being in this age. You chose us. And we are grateful, thankful, appreciative, and we will forever continue to learn of Christ and his ways so that we can understand our true role and purpose here in this earth and further in eternity. We thank you for choosing us. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your so great salvation. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.